You are listening to the MZBC Students Greenhouse Podcast. For more information about Mount Zion Baptist Church, go to mzbc.net slash students or follow us on Twitter and Instagram at MZBC Students. I remember being in high school, um, and uh, like I think all high school's people, um, I, I firmly believe there was nothing to do in my hometown at all. Like there was nothing fun to do ever. So you go out looking for something fun to do, right? And that takes you to some places. Um, and so one of the places that took me and my friends to was a place we referred to affectionately as Old Bryce. There was a new Bryce. So this is Old Bryce. Old Bryce in Tuscaloosa uh, is an abandoned mental health facility. And it is exactly as terrifying as that sounds. Um, so Old Bryce is on like the outskirts of town out in the middle of nowhere, and uh, it's exact, it, dude, it's out of a movie. I don't know why they don't film movies there. It's just, you, you turn on this road, there's no lights. There's just fields of nothing but zombies, right? And it's fields, and there's this long straight road, and it's got like the live oaks, you know, with like the, the limbs like growing over the road, so you're like driving through a tunnel of arms, and, uh, and it's, it's always foggy because God wills it. And um, at the end, at the, when you're you get half of this road, your, your headlights fall on this uh, white building, because all mental health facilities are white for some reason, and it's, it's just this white building down this tunnel of arms, and uh, the front door is always standing wide open, always. It's horrific, right? And so, you know, in the, in the daytime, we would go down there and wander around and there's like weird stuff, like a room full of beds all like piled in a heap in the middle of the floor. And you're like, that's weird. Um, and then in the basement, there's like padded rooms and stuff with like doors with locks and junk on them. Super creepy, right? But then at nighttime, it's just utterly horrifying. Okay. So we would go down there at night sometimes and wander around and freak ourselves out. So we, we did this all the time. This is like a common thing. I mean, Jessica went down there. I went down there. It's, 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 it, eventually it's just not that big of a deal. So there was some girl Girl that one of my friends was trying to impress and she hadn't been to old Bryce before. So he gets a group together, put everybody in the, in the car and, and they're going to go to old Bryce. And so we've been out there a bunch of times. I mean, this is, this is, this is not, it's kind of old hat for him. And so, um, and so we, he's driving down the thing and, and I'm, I'm not there, but as, as the story goes, um, they're about halfway down this road and, and you know, it's the anticipation of the headlights falling on the, the front entryway of this, this, you know, place, right? But instead of, of noticing the lights in front of him, he ended up noticing a light to his left. And it wasn't a white light. It was a blue light. Yep. Coppers. All right. And so, I mean, we, we, I don't know how many times we were down there, but so he, he gets halfway down this road and all of a sudden the police are like off in a field or something, right? And cops are everywhere and he's freaking out because he's, you know, kids, you freak out, right? And so he, um, he's you know, stopped the car. They get everybody out of the car. He had, he had like overloaded the car, you know, because it's more fun that way. And there's like nine people in a Grand Cherokee or something. And, and so they get everybody out of the car and they search everybody and they search the whole, the whole vehicle, right? And they're like looking under seats and stuff because surely you people are like, murdering people down here, right? That's the only reason you'd be at Old Bryce. And so he just had this whole ordeal and parents were called and like people had to come pick up kids from Old Bryce. And it was just, it was this whole huge mess. We never went to Old Bryce after that ever again, because um, there was all of a sudden there was a consequence for going. Something that we had done over and over and over again, all of a sudden this, there's this very huge consequence because we're trespassing and didn't realize it. Well, we kind of realized it. Anyway, they, and when the consequence comes, we're out. And I remember just one of the things that struck me, I remember knowing that it was probably not completely acceptable to go wander around some government facility, you know, on my own. 
But then I remember my friend, when, when, when a consequence actually came, I remember how mad he was. I remember how angry he was that the police would, would dare to like search his car and search his friends and stuff for something that seemed like for us, this wasn't a big deal. It wasn't a big deal to go down there. It wasn't a big deal to go wander all on Broadway. We're not going to do anything weird. We're not going to burn the place down or something. And then when a consequence finally came, he was so angry that someone would dare bring a consequence to an action that was obviously wrong. That's the way we act. For us, there's, there's consequences um, that, you know, you, you kind of, in the back of your head, they're there. But a lot of our behaviors, we extend to ourselves unlimited leniency. We, we, we do things that we know aren't right. And if you're a Christian, you do things that you know aren't honoring to God. But in your head, it's, it's not that bad, right? I'm not, it's, not, it's, not that, it's not that big of a deal. And so when we think about what consequences our sin, our actions should deserve, we extend to ourselves just almost unlimited leniency. So what we do in our mind then with God is that we imagine that God does the exact same thing we do. We imagine that God is, is placid and kind and kind of like he's this doting grandfather in the sky who lets you watch as much TV as you want to and eat all the junk food you want to when you come over. He's that kind of guy, C- completely lenient. That God you know, may, may talk a big game, but when it really comes down to consequence for your actions, there aren't really gonna be any because God's just, he's loving and good and that's really all he is. And there's other passages in the Bible that talk about God being wrathful and just really? We extend ourselves leniency and we expect the God of the universe to extend us leniency too. And students, I'm just going to tell you tonight, that's, that's not what I see in God's word. I don't see anything about God extending leniency. In fact, I see the opposite. Like in Nahum 1-2, we see a God who's responding to and we're going to flip all over the Bible. You don't need to go to Nahum. You don't even know where that is. Uh, so you, did, you didn't even know that was a book of the Bible. <clears throat> um, so, but if you are taking, this is, this is a good night to take notes. We're going to be all over the place. And this is stuff that you may not have talked about before. So this is probably get your phone out, jot some stuff down as it feels impactful. Okay. Um, just, you can take notes however you feel like taking notes. But uh, yeah, so we imagine this God um, who is lenient. But it's not at all what we see in Scripture. In fact, we see a God who responds in wrath and fury to sin. We see a God responding in wrath and fury to sin. Like Nahum 1-2 says, The Lord is jealous and an avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversary and keeps wrath for his enemies. That doesn't sound like a doting grandfather. That's kind of terrifying. And when you read those that words like that, passages like that, we're going to look at a whole bunch of passages tonight. And when you read those kind of words, you just kind of hope that you're not on the receiving end of that somehow. The Lord is jealous and an avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The fact that God um, says of himself in his word that he is wrathful, um, that does something to us. That doesn't, that doesn't like compute really. It, it upsets our, our, our modern sentiments. It's the God's extending wrath in response to action that he doesn't like, that breaks his heart, that goes against his standard. The idea that God would do that, that he would actually bring wrath in response to somebody's choice 
that, that is the definition of intolerant. That says that God is an intolerant God. He does not tolerate sin. He doesn't tolerate unrighteousness. So if God is wrathful, he is intolerant. And our culture has told us that every choice, every action must be tolerated, except being a Christian. But everything else, everything else should be tolerated. And you can't say boo about it. And God comes in and says, I'm a wrathful and avenging God. We don't like that. That doesn't feel comfortable. So when we come to passages about God's wrath, you probably do what, what I, I kind of find myself doing sometimes. I, I kind of I skirt away from it. I don't really think hard on the wrath of God. I like to think about the, the parts about God being full of grace and mercy. And God, about God having uh, plans for my good, not for evil. About God working all things out for uh, those who love him. We don't like to focus on the, the wrath of God and really think deeply about that. So, we, so we, sometimes we just ignore it. We don't think about it at all. We just kind of just put it out of our mind, just completely ignore the fact that God says he is a wrathful God. Sometimes we try to explain it away. Well, you know, Nahum's in the Old Testament, so maybe, maybe God of the Old Testament was just angry and surely God's like grown up by now or something and kind of gotten over it. Sometimes we, um, we just flat question it. I mean, I know that that passage sounds like God is wrathful, but really? Is that, I mean, is that, is that okay for God to be wrathful? Is that okay for God to be intolerant of somebody's choices? Is it okay for God to bring about consequence even on people that may not know any better? Is that, is that okay of God? Is that fair? It doesn't seem fair. If that's not fair, then, then why would God do that? Surely, because God's loving and good, right? Why would he... Why wouldn't God just let it go, grow up? What was the old turn the other cheek thing, right? Is it, is it good of God to be wrathful or is that wrong of him? See, when we, when we go down those, those kind of like logical pathways and you start thinking like that, this is what you're doing. I don't know if you probably haven't thought about this like this. This is what you're doing. When you start questioning whether it's okay for God to be wrathful, what you are doing is setting yourself up as his judge. And his character is on trial. You've taken a character trait of God and you've put it, put it on trial and you are judging whether God's character is good enough for your standard. And when you put it that way, that freaks me out. I'm, I'm, I'm placing the eternal, uh, always existent God of the universe who made me, who gave me life and breath I'm putting his character on trial. I'm questioning whether he is actually good or not. I'm not willing to do that. I'm not going to put God on trial. Because I'm not the standard by which everything else is judged. He is. He's the judge. And I'm, if anybody's going to be on trial, it's going to be me. So if we, if, we, if, we, if we shy away from God's wrathfulness, if we, if we try to explain it away, if we ignore it, or if we just flat disagree with it, what we are doing is saying that it is not good of God to be wrathful, to bring about consequence for action. And I don't know about you, but I'm not, I don't feel comfortable saying that. So there is a reality of God's wrathfulness. And so, okay, fine, fine. I'm not gonna put God on trial. I'll, I'll agree with you just this far that God uh, does extend wrath to like really bad stuff. And, you know, if there's something that falls short of his standard that, yeah, maybe he, um, he, can, he can get kind of ticked off sometimes and, you know, go a little nuts. All right. So fine. Maybe God's wrathful. But surely, surely that's, 
that's not extended to me. Like, like Romans 1.18 says, for the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. Basically, it's coming. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and the unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. It says, the wrath of God is coming from heaven against all ungodliness. Now, okay, fine, Britain. Maybe God is wrathful sometimes, but surely like all ungodliness, that, that's not us, right? That's, that's not you, like you didn't like blow up a bunch of civilians or something. That's, that's the crazy people on the other side of the world that God's gonna like execute his, his wrath against those kind of people. The stuff you did today, that's below the bar and he's just cool. Like that doesn't, that doesn't meet his threshold of wrathfulness. So surely God's wrath, if it is real, then fine, maybe it's real, but it's not, it's not directed at us. And when you, when you start thinking like that, this is what your mind's doing. You are thinking far too highly of yourself and far too little of your transgression. You're thinking that you are something special, that somehow that you are privileged in some way to be excused from what God clearly says about himself. And you're also thinking, kind of like my buddy driving up to old Bryce, that this just isn't that bad. You're thinking too much of yourself and too little of your choices, too little of your sinfulness. Because what that passage says is all ungodliness. Have you done anything ungodly this week? Have you done anything not God-worthy this week? Yeah, we all have. And it says all ungodliness. It's not extended to other people. It's extended to all of us. His wrath is directed to every single person who has fallen short of his perfect holy standard, which is all of us. Ephesians 2.3 makes it more clear. It says that all of us were by nature children of wrath, just like everybody else. So it's like the rest of mankind. All of us were by nature children of wrath. You were born not a child of God. You were born a child of wrath. That's how you came into this place. Not greenhouse, like the world. Like you came into the world a Child of wrath, not a child of God. Romans 2.5 says that, but because of your hard and unrepentant heart, basically the, because you just continue on in your sin, you're storing up wrath for yourself. You're just like, like a storehouse. Like you're just storing up more and more of God's wrathfulness for yourself. The more and more sin that, that you pile into your heart, the more and more wrath you're, you're storing up for yourself. Romans 2.8 says, but for those who are self-seeking, that's me, and do not obey the truth, that's me, but obey unrighteousness, me, uh, there will be wrath and fury. It's hard to explain our way out of that one, isn't it? And then in Jeremiah, it, it, it kind of, it finally gives us like an analogy. I love analogies. It likens God's wrath to a storm. It says, behold the storm of the Lord. Wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest. What's a whirling tempest sound like in not Bible words? Yeah, girl. We know about tornadoes, don't we? How many of y'all lived here in 2001 or 2011? Yeah, most of us were here in 2011. We were here April 27th. We know about tornadoes. Most of us still flip out whenever a tornado siren goes off. 
Whenever that, whenever that, you know how all of our phones now have that thing where we're like, nah, nah, like, dude, heart skips a beat every time because there's a storm coming, a whirling tempest, right? And it likens God's wrath to this whirling tempest. And it goes on, catch this, listen. It says it, that, that whirling tempest will burst upon the head of the wicked, which we've already defined as us. That day on April 27th, there was a family in our church, uh, the Reed family. And maybe, maybe you know their story. Um, they live north of here, that, that neighborhood north of Spartman that just got flat leveled. Um, they, that's where they lived. And so uh, it called, it's called Anderson Hills. Yeah, living in Anderson Hills. Um, so the reeds are there. It's, you know, it's evening, and that, that tornado that came across up there was coming. And we'd known all week that there was going to be like some super crazy storm of the universe that week, and so none of us really thought it was going like, to land on our front steps. So we, you, know, you make preparations as best you can, which means you don't do a thing. Okay, and so uh, that that evening, there's this tornado coming, and the sirens go, and the whatever, and the TV guy says, "Hey, if you're in these areas, you need to be in your safe place right now. Don't go get in your car, and don't collect hundred dollars. Just go get in the whatever the safe place is." Well, I don't know about you, but whenever, whenever, like when I was a kid, um, whenever that siren went off, I lived in Tuscaloosa. We get like tornadoes every twenty minutes. I don't know what our deal is down there. It's much nicer here. Um, but that, that siren would go off and, and James spans on the TV and he's like, hey, if you're, like on, if you're on 15th Street, uh, you, need to, you need to be in a safe place. I'm like, all right, we're in a safe place again. And every time you get there and the winds are howling, it sounds crazy. And every time I'm like looking at my dad, like, why don't we in a tornado shelter yet? Every time we get a tornado, every like three weeks, why don't we just get a stupid storm shelter? So you think ahead, finally I need to get a storm shelter. But you don't do it because you don't think it's coming directly at you. You think you're going to be okay. And so the reeds are just like us. They think everything's going to be okay. It's not coming at them. It's this, you know, twirling temp- tempest thing, but it's not going to get me. So the reeds are sitting in their, their, their house and the, the sirens go off. They get in your safe place. So they go get in the bathtub, which is smart. And they get, in, they get all four of them. There's a mom and a dad and two teenagers. They get in the bathtub. And there's this tornado, and it's bearing down. It's, it's fury. It's wrath. And it's awful. And they're sitting there in the bathtub, and it sounds like the world is caving in around them. Like, like the earth is just giving way. Like, like the earth is ceasing to exist outside. And they're huddled together in their bathtub. And it feels like everything is just coming apart. Then all of a sudden it just gets worse and the whole house just caves into a pile of sticks. And they, they, the, the storm goes and, and they get up and, and basically dig their way out from under their house. And their house where they dig their way out of, uh, what's left of it, is not where it was. It's across the street. The storm like picked their house up and just threw it down on the other side of the road with them in it all four of them in the bathtub. There was a storm coming, a fury of storm, and they didn't realize it was coming to them until it was too late. Jeremiah 23, 19 says, Behold the storm of the Lord, wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest, and it was going to burst upon the head of the wicked. The storm of God's wrath is utterly terrifying. The writer of Hebrews gets this. In Hebrews 10.31, it says, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And at this point in the message, especially, man, if, it's, if you're new this week and you don't trust me yet, you're thinking this is terrible and I don't want to come back here again. But there's 
there's better news than this. That could have been the end of the story, but it's not. Yeah, God's wrath is real. And it's not directed at somebody halfway across the world. It's directed to every single one of us that's fallen short of God's standards. That's the truth of God's word. And when you're sitting there thinking about this wrath, this tornado of God's wrath that's bearing down on you like tornadoes do, and you're thinking, well, what am I supposed to, how am I supposed to escape this? What am I supposed to do about this? You can't escape it. You can't do anything about it. You can't go outside, and same as you can't go outside and yell at a tornado and tell it to go away. You can't do anything about it. It is coming. That wrath is going to be poured out. God does not extend leniency. God is just. God follows through. So what do we do then? How do I escape? You can't. So he did it for you. You couldn't do anything about it, so he did it for you. Instead of allowing his own wrath to fall on us, this is, the, this is the good news of the gospel. This is where it all comes down to. Instead of allowing his wrath to be poured out on you, the wrath that you've earned, the wrath that you've stored up for yourself, instead of pouring it out on you, he poured it out on himself. The son of God literally stepped up in the way of that storm of wrath that was coming for you and he took the full force of that wrath on himself so that you didn't have to. That's what these, that gives completely different meaning to verses like 1 Thessalonians 1.10 where it says that Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come. That's a verse you've probably read before and you just kind of like float over it because God's wrath doesn't mean anything to you. Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come. 1 Peter says that he himself bore our sin. 1 Thessalonians 5 says that God, let's all oh, love this one. God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation. God's desire for you was not wrath. What he wanted for you was not wrath. What he wanted for you was salvation. So instead of pouring his wrath out on you, he poured his wrath out on his son so that he could, basically God poured his, God's wrath on God and just left you out of it. And salvation takes on a completely different meaning in light of this impending wrath. In light of the fact that, that God is not lenient, he's not some doting granddaddy who just arbitrarily forgets your sin, but that he's a God of, of wrath who follows through. And, and, and he followed through to the point that he had to figure out a way to not follow through on you, so he got in the way of it himself. 1 Timothy 1. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's every one of you. That's myself included. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. We use that word save a lot, don't we? Like, like I've, I've been saved. If you're, if you're not a Christian, you've been around Christians any amount of time, you talk about Jesus saving me, or I've been saved, or I was saved back when I was eight. Have you ever stopped to think about what you were saved from? It's a word we use, we kind of like toss it around. Saved from what? If you're, if you're having a hard time paying attention to me, try harder. All right? I'm going to look at the people that are paying attention to me so the people that aren't don't feel bad, right? Because I'm not wrathful. Um, anyway, so <laughs> we use this word save a lot. You are saved from God's wrath. You are saved from this 
swirling tempest, this storm of wrath that was coming. And if you haven't accepted the gift, if you haven't accepted Jesus, him standing in the way of that wrath is still coming. Jesus came to save you. And if you'll accept him and trust him and turn from your sin and follow him, he will save you too. But until you do, the awful, terrifying uh, reality is that that wrath, that wrath is still being stored up for you. And until you trust and, and allow Jesus to take it for you, um, that wrath is going to be poured out. But remember, it's not God's will for you to, be, to, for you to get to experience that wrath. God's will is for you to obtain salvation. He, he doesn't want you to go through that. He doesn't want to extend that wrath to you, but that, that wrath is going to be extended somewhere. He's not a God of leniency. So if you haven't trusted Jesus, you haven't allowed him to get in the way of that tornado of God's wrath, then I, I would beg you to trust Jesus. Allow him to do what he came here to do. He left heaven, came here, and died on a cross to satisfy all of that wrath. So instead of that, that death, that, that punishment being poured out on you, it was poured out on Jesus on the cross. That's why he died. He died in your place. He didn't get caught. He didn't like say something to the wrong person and he got punished and that was his, just his execution. He willingly gave himself to stand in the way of God's wrath for you. And if you'll trust him with your life, he'll save you from it. If you haven't done that, I would beg you to come talk to me or a leader or a friend before you leave this campus tonight and say, hey, I, I'd love to talk. That's the, literally the only phrase you have to say and we'll, we'll jump in there and we'll try to make it uh, as comfortable as possible for you where we can answer your questions and lead you to a point where you can figure out if you really believe in this Jesus because we don't want you to experience that wrath same as we don't want to experience that wrath. Don't leave before you talk to somebody. Now, Christians, <clears throat> um, the reality of God's wrath and the reality that Jesus took that for me, all of the wrath that I had stored up for myself, that Jesus took that upon himself, that drives me to one, one response. And that's a response of thanksgiving. I mean, if, 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 if you're at a point in your faith where um, your relationship with Jesus just seems uh, old hat. It just seems boring and something that you used to be passionate about and now you've got other things to worry about, whatever. Maybe, maybe just where you are, you're looking at me, you don't need to close your eyes or whatever. Just, just, just imagine the, the immensity of the wrath that you've stored up for yourself even this week. Or maybe even just this year, just 2016, just the immensity of the wrath that you've stored up for yourself. And just be reminded tonight that Jesus, Jesus paid for all of that. He stood in the way of all of that wrath that you've earned for yourself. He got in the way of it for you. And I hope, I hope that that drives you to a, to a point in your relationship with Jesus tonight before you leave of thankfulness. And maybe right where you sit, you could just utter a prayer of thanksgiving for God, for him pouring his wrath out on Jesus rather than you. Maybe you could just, just right there where you sit, just pray that one sentence prayer. Just, God, thank you so much for what you've done for me.
The wrath is real, is coming, but it doesn't have to come to you. I want to pray for you. Father, um, God, we are grateful. We're grateful for the reality of the cross. That we, um, that you made a way for us not to experience what we deserve. You made a way for us to be forgiven, to be set free, to literally be saved from what we've earned for ourselves. God, remind us of the, the immensity of what you've done. Sing your sons, I pray. Amen.